Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. My name is David Hoffman, and we are in Masechet Shabbat, and today is Daf 72. As we know from our study of our tractate, Masechet Shabbat, an intentional violation of the Shabbat makes a person liable for the death penalty. However, an unintentional violation of Shabbat causes a person to become liable for a chatat offering. So one never brings a chatat offering for a deliberate violation. And one of the line of inquiries that our chapter has taken up is a consideration of cases where there have been multiple infractions, multiple infractions against the laws of Shabbat, all committed by a person who has had a lapse of awareness. Okay. And so, for instance, a case discussed on our daf has someone who intended to lift a knife from a garden, and while lifting it from the ground, picking up the knife from the garden, he accidentally cuts a vegetable plant growing from the ground. Now, if you think about it, he has unintentionally transgressed the prohibition of reaping. He's cut something that was once attached to the ground. That's clear. But he never intended to cut anything. He just meant to lift up the knife. So the question is, must that person bring a chatat sacrifice? Or similarly, someone who intended to cut a plant that was plucked from the ground before Shabbat. So it's, it's, it's separate from the ground. But that person then mistakenly cut something that was attached to the ground. Now again, he has inadvertently, unintentionally done an act of reaping. But the question is, does he become liable for a chatat offering? These two cases are similar. In both cases, a person cuts a plant that is attached to the ground, right? And in both cases... This is an unintended violation of the prohibition of reaping on Shabbat. However, only in the second case did the person intend to cut anything. He only, right, it was only the second case where he intended to cut anything at all. And in the first case, the very act of cutting simply was not intended. In the Gemara's consideration of these cases, they'll go ahead and teach a Brita. And I want to briefly look at one curious sentence in this Brita and see how the Gemara understands it. And my goal for this brief teaching is not to parse the Brita completely, but to bring a fascinating Rashi to our attention. And I believe an innocent comment offered by Rashi somewhere in the 11th century, in fact, has interesting implications for a charged issue in contemporary Jewish life. Now, in our Gemaras on 72b, the Brita refers to a case where one acts inadvertently without any intent at all. And the Hebrew is shagag 
below mitkaven, shagag below mitkaven, inadvertently, without any intent, and suggests that in that case of shagag below mitkaven, that person is liable for a chatat offering. Well, first off, it seems that shagag below mitkaven, it seems like a redundancy. What does shagag, right, below mitkaven, inadvertently, without intent, mean? They seem like they're saying the same thing. However this is exactly understood, the Gemara attempts to understand this expression and locate it in reference to the prohibition of idolatry. Okay, And the Gemara will suggest four possibilities of acting shagag below mitkaven, inadvertently, without any intent at all, in regard to the sin of avodazara, idolatry, where the person will then be liable for a chatat offering. Okay. And each of these possible possibilities that the Gemara is going to go ahead and propose will ultimately be rejected. Again, I'm really only interested in looking at the fourth possibility that the Gemara will offer because it's here that Rashi makes his interesting comment and ultimately that's what I want to go ahead and get to. The Gemara's first proposal for a transgression of idolatry but acting inadvertently without any intent has a person who erroneously enters into a building that he thinks was a synagogue, he erroneously thinks it was a synagogue, right? Not that he erroneously enters into the building. He goes inside and he bows down, doesn't realize, he thinks he's in a synagogue, doesn't realize that, that he is in fact not in a synagogue, but in a temple for, for other gods. And so in his bowing down, he's actually worshiping other gods. The Gemara concludes that in that case, because his, his heart was committed to God, he need not bring a chatat offering at all. In fact, he's not in violation of anything. The Gemara proposes an example, the second example, where a person sees a statue of the king, and he bows down to it. He sees a statue of the king. And in that case, the question is, does he become liable for a chatat? If he really accepted the king, think about this as his deity, and he thought the king was the deity, as perhaps some people did, then that's a deliberate sinner, right? He's been mazied, and he's liable for stoning. If, however, he did not accept the king as his deity, but simply was bowing down to the statue to honor the king, then it doesn't smack of idolatry at all and he shouldn't be liable for any punishment, including a chadat. Now, the third possibility that will be rejected is that a person bows down to an idol out of love or fear of another person, which is intending nothing about idolatry, but his love of another human being or his fear of another human being ultimately lead him to something um, that case is tremendously interesting. Actually, the Gemara does not speak sufficiently in my mind about it. Okay, we'll leave that for a second. And the fourth proposal offered for a transgression of idolatry, which is shagag below mitkaven, inadvertent without any intent, is a case where the Gemara imagines that a person says it is permitted to engage in idolatry. Where a person understands and says, Omer, regarding the practice of idolatry, mutar. That is, they don't know that it's forbidden to engage in idolatry. 
And it, just this proposal, this tentative proposal, is tremendously interesting, even to theoretically entertain, that somebody could go ahead and say that they did not understand that idolatry was prohibited. Yet, I do not want to go ahead and pursue what the Gemara has to say. Rather, I want to go ahead and take a look at how Rashi understands the sentence. Rashi comes up with a situation where he can imagine one plausibly not knowing that idolatry is a sin. He goes ahead and he suggests, Be'omer mutar kegon ger shenitgayer ben hanachrim kesavor she'en avodah zara batorah. So what does he suggest? The cases of a convert who was converted while living among Gentiles, and in such a situation, Rashi imagines it's possible to conceive of a Jew who does not know that idolatry is forbidden, and therefore, if that person who converted to Judaism amongst the Gentiles worships idols now as a Jew, it is a sin committed without any intent at all. And what caught my eye in is that Rashi conceives that it's plausible, even for this argument, it's plausible to be a convert without even knowing that idolatry is forbidden. And such a basic level of knowledge need not have been a part, seemingly, of a conversion process. Rashi was able to plausibly suggest, even if only rhetorically, even if it were not halakha lama'aseh, to suggest that a person could become a Jew with a very limited idea of Kabbalat mitzvot, of the taking on of commandments. Indeed, Rashi was not the first to imagine that a person could become a Jew without knowing the prohibition of idolatry. Four pages back in our Masechet, four days ago, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish make this claim that in fact one could go ahead and be a convert and not know about the prohibition of idolatry. So this idea that a person be cons could be considered a convert to Judaism, even with a most minimalist understanding of Kabbalat mitzvot, seemingly was plausible for Rashi. And it should complicate any modern maximalist understanding of the meaning of Kabbalat mitzvot in conversion today. This Rashi, in fact, should at the very least simply give us pause. Thank you, and I look forward to learning tomorrow again. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.